everybody, and welcome to the Energetic Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa LaFera, an astrologer, tarot consultant, all-around creative from sunny San Diego, California. And this is the 93rd episode of the podcast, airing the week of June 8th, 2020. Now, I'm pleased to bring to you my interview with NYC-based professional astrologer Wade Caves, who will join me in a discussion on Saturn and Aquarius and social justice. And now, Wade and I are just going to discuss the current and past passages of Saturn through Aquarius while looking up bits and pieces of 20th century historical contexts that relate to movements for social justice. Now, we touch on the current state of affairs with the COVID-19 pandemic and the progressive Black Lives Matter protests and movement that's taking place, and how this sets the scene for the duration of Saturn's transit through the sign most equated with humanity's structural evolution. Now, a fabulous way to show appreciation for this podcast and my astrological efforts is to come on down to my Patreon, uh, where I do a Patreon-exclusive astrology forecast uh, weekly, which is an audio cast or a podcast or however you want to cast it. Um, and I provide seven days of detailed astrology plus tarot polls and an animal ambassador of the week. Plus, there is an end segment called uh, Ask Mel where I encourage patrons to ask me questions uh, or I riff on my own thoughts for the week or what really whatever comes in. So I do encourage you to ask me anything. And new episodes launch weekly on Sundays at midnight Pacific time. Uh, so if you want to stay up to date each week with that macro and micro of, you know, the cosmic energy is underway, I'm here to help. So you can get that just starting at $5 per month uh, where you get the weekly forecast and early guest interview access because I do send these recordings out to patrons before they reach the public, um, as well as my Astro Storytime episodes that are over there on the Patreon. Um, and if you want a little bit more with show notes, there's an extra tier for that. So to find out more uh, about my Patreon program, you can go to patreon.com backslash energetic principles. Uh, and now if you would like to make a one-time donation, you can also do that at Mel's tip jar, which is found on the front page of energeticprinciples.com or by booking a personal consultation with yours truly, all which that can be done through my site. Um, all right, so who's ready to hear all about Saturn in Aquarius? Here we go. Now let's meet our guest. All right, I am so happy to welcome this week's special guest. We have the fabulous Wade Caves with us here today. Thank you for joining me, Wade. Thank you for having me. He's uh, sitting back with with a beer. He's got he's got a beer. I've got a coffee. We've got a we've got a, a, a juicy topic on board today. We're going to be talking oh, about yeah. Saturn in Aquarius, which I haven't really uh, gotten into yet. Although there's so so much to say, um, and then pairing that with uh, you know social justice, which is definitely on the the lips of everybody right now. But I think you'll find as we talk more about. Uh, you know, Saturn in this placement is some historical context there that this is an issue that does seem to arise when, oh, um, yeah. yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but before we get started the year, uh, for people who have not heard of Wade before, will you give us a little background? Tell us who you are. Okay. Um, well, I'm an Aquarius, so <laughs> that's, Perfect. That's, that will be where we begin. Um, so, uh, yeah, what do I say about myself? Um, I've kind of lived all over. Uh, I was born in California and I've lived in most of the major US cities on the West Coast and on the East Coast. Um, was in London for a little while. So I've gotten to see um, a lot 
of the um, the US and the UK astrological scene, but also have had the ability to travel to Australia too. So um, that has been really nice to be able to kind of see all of our, our people in, in a couple of different countries. That's been fun. Um, I'm primarily derive my work out of um, ancient source material. Um, so I think that that makes me a traditional astrologer, but I, you know, I mean, I, I'm alive right now. So really I'm a contempor- I'm a modern astrologer, you know, so I, I'm alive today, um, but I'm just drawing on some old things, I guess, in my work. Um, I am a tutor for the School of Traditional Astrology, which was founded by Depp Holding in 1996. We're coming up on 25 years next year, which oh. is pretty- Yeah, 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 yeah. It's really exciting. <laughs> um, and uh, I mean, I think that that probably that probably covers it. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I will say that uh, if I if I'm into thinking my own mind, what I think of Wade, I would be horary man. Oh, okay. that you're the horary <laughs> man. Hey, I'll take that. I love horary, so that's just fine. Yeah, it's it's really well suited to my temperament. I'm not very good on extrapolating on one symbol for very long periods of time. I have a lot of things in my chart that incline towards speed and like decisiveness and moving on. And horary is really perfectly suited for that temperament. I think. Um, of course, it's also perfect. I, I say that, but it's perfectly suited for everybody's temperament. But I, I, I think that I've found a. Um, uh, a way to make it work for me that I'm, I'm happy with. And so I've got a cool relationship with it. I love it. But I also really love mundane astrology. I, To be honest mm-hmm. with you, if I didn't have a day job and for when I moved to London, I did astrology full time and I was really happy doing that. I mean, I've been working for years and years and years to get to that place. Um, I say years and years and years. It was only about five years, but I developed enough of a practice to be able to go full time. Um, and then when I did it, it was just like, you know, now this just feels like work. It's not quite yeah. the same because the way that I had envisioned it happening was like, I will have all this free time to do research. And what I didn't think about was, <laughs> no, you won't. You'll be in consultations day in, mm-hmm. day out. You'll have to pick up writing assignments that you're not really passionate about. Um, and so I, I realized that the balance I was striking wasn't um, the best for me. So I decided to return back to work. But I mean, that's one angle of it. The other angle is it's really expensive in the UK to get a self-employed visa to stay in the country. So oh. it made more... Yeah, it made more sense to um, to work for um, a UK company to get a visa. But then I worked for a UK company that had me commuting to New York every two weeks. Um, so... Yeah, because I was American and I had an American visa and they needed somebody to do work in the States. So I was bouncing all over the place for um, for the better part of a year. Um, but all of this is to say that one of the deep passions of mine that I really have not yet been able to fully turn my attention to is the study of astrological cycles through human history um, and the history of um, politics and economics and human development. That, mm. that to me is really where the gold is. And um, I'm really excited to get to talk about a mundane cycle with you today because talking about Saturn and Aquarius, it's not often that somebody says, can you just talk about this one thing um, and let's discuss it and you know, let's, let's see what we come out of it. And that is great because it allows you to just say, well, there's a, there's a million angles to come at it from. So what's important to me and what do I want to focus on? And to me, right now, forms of political and economic justice are really important. I think that they've been important um, uh, forever, but we're starting to see things come to a, a climax right now in the US at least, and actually globally. You know, the, yeah. um, Everything that we're seeing happening in the world right now um, 
it, it, I think I think I just saw a statistic that um, Black Lives Matter is the largest um, protest movement that has ever happened um, in in terms of, of bodies and number of countries that support, which is really quite an incredible thing. So um, I, I'm just really excited to get to you know just talk about astrology of the world with you today. So thanks for having me. Well, I'm so glad to talk about it. Well, because I mean, that's my, it, I'm with you, Wade. It's like my number one passion is mundane astrology. Like, is that? Because oh, I was yeah. curious, are we, I didn't know exactly what kind of balance you strike in your own world. So, um, so do you focus mostly on mundane or do you do personal well, I mean, astrology? I do consultation work and, um, yeah. you know, obviously predictive forecasting and things like oh, that. Okay, but cool. if, if you were like, Mel, what do you want to do with your time? And what, what's your passion? Oh, it's definitely mundane astrology. Right? Because I love right. history. I love yeah. cycles. I love seeing how, um, I love timing. I think, yeah. it, you know, that speaks to the Capricorn moon. It's like, oh, yeah. I, yeah. Oh, you got to cut. Okay. Well, I know oh, who yeah. we're dealing with now. <laughs> I yes, it. I was born on a full, exactly full moon, okay. Cancer Capricorn. It was a T okay. square to Pluto and Libra, and I oh, wow. love, um, I love mundane astrology because. So it you're just, about to hit this pretty big trigger with Mars uh, going through Aries for six months. Aren't uh, you? Because, yeah, and stationing. <laughs> it's going to station uh, direct right on it, basically in an exact grand cross for me. See, I mean, that's you know, you'll have to report back to us. Uh, yeah, <laughs> let me tell you. Oh, and, and I'm going to be in a Mars perfection year. Um, I like it's. Of course you, you are. You can't ever. <laughs> yeah. it, it doesn't rain unless it pours. Ex- <laughs> yes, that's basically that's my life, um, and I'm sure a lot of people uh, <laughs> probably feel the same way. But you know, some some people are just born with certain charts because I have so many things that are exactly at 16 degrees, and so yeah. when something gets hit it all gets hit. And like you said, when it rains, yeah. it pours. And so yeah. I'm ready for well, it to pour. <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, I understand that. I have um, a lot of stuff immutable and I have nothing in early degrees. Um, everything is in the later part mm-hmm. of the sign. Um, and because I have so much immutable, what that means is the back half of like, so when Saturn was in Sagittarius, it was like, well, you know, fuck me. I can't yeah. do anything now for like two years because... Basically, what this is, means is I'm either going to have a Saturn opposition square or conjunction to like really important points in my birth chart. So I just kind of felt stuck for a while. But you know, it turned out to be um, it turned out to be okay when I stopped trying to force um, doing things, yeah. and I just said, "Well, we'll just take things as they come." Because I'm I'm a big planner. I like to climb and to achieve and to push and to you know just and I I, I at the time I. Um, Got in a relationship with the man who was like he was Saturn walking. You know, he was just Saturn, <laughs> and he was born um, with Aquarius rising, um, and uh, he's an Aries with the Sun Saturn opposition in exact. So I mean, he was just Saturn all the way through. But um, what was really interesting to me was that um, he ended up manifesting that transit for me of Saturn and Sagittarius. We got together when it started, and 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 our relationship ended when that ended. And um, I didn't really need to look outside of anything. I mean, it was just life slowed down. We just focused on very different set of priorities. And it was really an interesting two years because, um, well, I'm talking about my personal Yeah, life. no, I, well, I mean, 
it's it's relevant to some extent. But I, you know what? Because I think what I know about you, um, and I share some similar placements, is the fact that we have this uh, kind of we have these mutable placements, uh, but then these fixed placements. Yes, yes. And, and that can be the crux sometimes when you're asked to be more flexible, go with the flow. Uh, you know, work with within the Saturnian boundaries that maybe were placed upon you. But you're like, yeah. but I had this fixed plan. I yeah. had this whole picture, you know, ready yeah. to yeah. go and yeah. and finding the balance between those things. And you, you're, you got that right. You you got that right. I mean, I've got Jupiter and Aries, but that's it. You know, <laughs> there's <Yeah>. no cardinal <laughs> in me whatsoever. So. That's so funny. well, there we go. We got our little we got our little personal astrology lesson that everybody can learn from. You know, sure, sure. <laughs> I'm sure that bit of information just hit someone's ears and was like, oh, well, I it's all so. coming together. Um, <laughs> so that brings us to our, uh, you know, okay. So we're going to be talking about Saturn and Aquarius here, but let's maybe yeah. sum up some of the current events, uh, you know, current affairs that are going on in case someone like listens to this podcast, maybe like yeah. months from now, um, two years from now, you know. Well, I should hope you know people have been paying attention to what's going on in the world. But I think we like if we take a step back at what's happened since like, you know, late 2019, um, moving into 2020. So um, it's been uh, an interesting time. I mean, the stock markets were doing really well um, in 2019. Um, economies did seem to be, you know, doing quite well. The UK even was doing... I mean, Brexit had been looming for a really long time. And that sense of... Um, hesitancy about not knowing what the UK's relationship to um, the European Union, you know, what that was going to look like in the end, that that did cause a lot of problems for businesses, for investors, but for people too. You know, if you, if you can um, imagine um, a place like the UK, in, in Europe, there was um, free movement across any of the European nations. So you'd ended up with a lot of people on the, like, island of the United Kingdom. I mean, you have to remember, this is just an island. So, um, People would end up there. They, you know, set up homes, set up families, and then now realize that that passage through Europe is going to be a problem now. So, there were a number of businesses that were actually leaving the UK to go to places that would still maintain a relationship with EU. And then families, of course, were concerned. Students were worried about what it meant. You know, um, I, I have a, a very close friend, um, Wendy Stacy. I mean, she's an astrologer. Everybody knows her. But um, her daughter was studying law. And, you know, she was studying law that was pertinent at the time uh, when she enrolled, which is European law, uh, which, you know, <laughs> if, if the UK pulls out, you know, what does that look like? So even still, even with all that uncertainty and things starting to move in a general direction, the economy seemed like it was doing pretty well. But as we came into late December, the World Health Organization was notified. And this happened, I don't know the date. Like, well, I mean, it's available out there. I just don't remember it. Um, but I know that Mars was at 27 degrees of Scorpio. Um, the World Health Organization was notified um, from a hospital in Wuhan about the um, COVID situation, um, and that this was a um, you know something to be put alert <clears throat> put on alert about. So um, the World Health Organization received that notice when Mars was at 27 degrees of Scorpio. And what's interesting is um, the chart for China. The midheaven is 27 degrees Scorpio. So, um, you know, that kind of Mars signature there was a really fascinating thing to watch. And I think the transits of Mars as well um, will be uh, worthwhile for us to explore as we're, you know, kind of dealing with the COVID situation um, into the coming year or years. 
Because obviously, I think if anybody's listening to this podcast, it would be more or less impossible to not be aware that there was a global pandemic, is a global pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like, well, and that's actually uh, a lot of work that I've been doing and I've spoke on the podcast here before and wrote some articles for yeah. uh, SDAS and stuff is I'm yeah. uh, tracking the, the Sun-Mars synodic cycle. Yeah. Because that, uh, that to me is like the unraveling of all this that we're seeing sure. right now. Because I know yeah. I, uh, I, I was... Um, uh, what am I trying to say? My brain just... <laughs> I, okay, I think I was watching some webinar wherein you had mentioned um, because basically the way that Washington is set up uh, with you know Beijing and Wuhan and all that is just yes, we're exactly in this you know longitudinal. So when yeah. we get these um, really intense uh, you know you know astrological placements because that Sun Mars synodic cycle uh, at nine degrees of Virgo with Mercury right there and Venus. I was just about to ask you, and actually, I'm I'm looking right now in my software about where they last conjoined. So was it nine Virgo? So it was a nine Virgo with a, you know just a stellium right there, exactly on the ascendant of Washington D.C., exactly on the descendant of Wuhan, um, and it's been piecing out. The whole pandemic has pieced out basically on Sun Mars. You know the the first aspect that the Sun and Mars made in a sextile uh, right. was kind of the pushing forward of this pandemic, and of course here we now literally sit. We're basically basically Wade and I are talking on the Sagittarius eclipse, exactly on the Sagittarius eclipse as the sun is set to square Mars tomorrow. And this is all panning out um, in this really well-timed, you know, kind of martial discord. The gods of chaos are upon us. Um, And it's interesting when you think about it all starting in the cycle of Virgo, you know, we have this health pandemic, um, you know, and and it like literally when you look at the astrocartography of it, it rips through Washington DC all the way up to New York where you are and where the pandemic was the strongest. And yeah. So yeah, when you're talking about Mars and like it all lining up, amen. It's yeah, it's yeah. I mean, it's, it's been interesting too. I mean, that, that point that you made about in case somebody's not quite able to follow, it, it was Wendy Stacy who told me about that. So she, you know, um, look up Wendy Stacy and work that she's done if you are finding um, the points that I'm making here interesting. But what she'd noticed um, was that because um, Beijing and DC are essentially on exact opposite parts of the world, um, what's on the icy of one will be on the midheaven of the other. You know, so they, yeah. they have an exact opposite relationship. So anything that's happening at one point in time will be in the exact opposite place. And to me, I mean, that kind of gave an, um, this is really lazy what I'm about to say. <laughs> like it's really not nuanced or well thought out. But like immediately I start thinking, well, no wonder America has been so obsessed with China. I mean, we have been really fixated on what is happening um, in that part of the world. And it's not that other places aren't in some way fixated, but like when you, you know, I've lived in Germany and I've lived in um, the UK, China does not come up that much, like not, not nearly. I mean, it is, you can't turn on the news more than two days without hearing about what China is or isn't doing. And so at any rate, I mean, I, I do find it interesting to realize that when there are um, things that are having an impact or import on angles within the US, there, there, there is a corresponding relationship happening in China at the same time. Um, and it's only um, logical to think that sometimes both of those things will plug into a third thing, which then activates it for both of them at the same time. So it's an interesting thing to think about. It is. And it, it, it 
really demonstrates our our relationship because it's obviously not just this and pandemic. 100%. You know, we have so much economic tied up in there and yep. every decisions that we've made um, as far as a country, you know, yeah, really yeah. tied I mean, up there. Um, exactly. And, and the more um, interdependent um, we become, the yeah. more this is just the, the way it goes. So anyway, so we've entered into um, a global pandemic, which has, you know, really lot of industries that relied on the ability for people to walk out of their front door. I mean, it's something as simple as being able to, to, to gather in a space, to walk, to move. I still am really just absolutely, um, when I think about it, every now and again, it does catch me like this really threw a curveball in a way that I don't think, it's not that nobody could have you know, thought about this. I mean, there are astrologers who have mentioned this, but any public health professional uh, would tell you we're overdue for a pandemic in the same way people are saying we're overdue for a big earthquake. You know, that's a, a thing. Um, and, you know, Bill Gates had did a, a, a whole speech, speech on it. And then it turns out that um, actually not long ago, there was a presentation done um, to the Trump administration about the lack of preparedness in the event of a um, pandemic of any kind of scale. So <clears throat> it's not it's not like it's a, an unheard of thing. But I, I mean, if you told me that life would have come crashing to a halt like this, it would have been, um, I think I would have just laughed and said, I'll, okay, I'll see your bet. I'll give you 20. The speed of this thing and the, yeah. and the weight of it has been really, really something. So, you know, we end up with the situation in the US where 40 million Americans are out of work. Um, and that is the largest unemployment number since the Great Depression. I mean, it's, it's really, really... Um, significant. And then what ends up happening is, um, you know, we, we witness the cruel and senseless murder of George Floyd at the hands of four police officers. And police brutality is absolutely not new. The struggle for black liberation in the United States, absolutely not new. Um, there are 40 million Americans out of work though. And I, I do think on some level, um, maybe we feel as though there's nothing left to lose, like something about the scaffolding of how the world has kind of shifted the tensions that are in people's hearts because of the economic uncertainty. You know, one of the things that really struck me as wild, um, the New York Times was publishing. So obviously there's, there's, um, there was this conversation happening in March and in April about, you know, how do we start to think about opening up the economy? When does it make sense because the, um, the economy is tanking. And a lot of the responses you would get is life is more important than the economy, right? Which mm -hmm. everybody, I think on some level, like, a, yes, yes, of course it is. Research was indicating though. Um, and of course we don't have research on like this situation, but we have research on previous recessions that actually economic uncertainty can produce um, a very, very uh, destructive impact on personal health. And um, it increases heart attacks, um, cardiovascular disease, um, any kind of stress-related, um, uh, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Health condition. Okay. Mm -hmm. So then so then, what you end up realizing is like, okay, so COVID uh, is, is a disease that um, the average age of the person who um, succumbs to COVID is in their 70s, average life expectancy, high 70s. So the average life loss is somewhere around like five, four to five years. Mm -hmm. That was the math as of 
late April. I don't know what it is now, but that was the math at the time. And um, this issue of um, sustained economic hardship actually resulted um, in, uh, it, it usually has a longer time horizon because COVID is more acute. You know, you, you're talking about a couple of weeks, maybe a month or two um, be- between, you know, serious symptoms and death. Economic hardship lasts longer. It takes many, many years, but that's because it takes many, many years for people to recover. Um, and the desperation of feeling like you'll never recover actually accelerates the, the issue toward the end. So you're looking at a horizon of maybe about five years, but it no longer is only clipping people in their 70s. It actually primarily targets people who are in the middle years of their life where they're not young enough to... to um, to say, well, listen, I'll just have to, you know, I don't know, figure something out in my, the later part. You know, you're, you're nearing the end of your working life. And so there's not a lot of time for you to, um, if you lose your job, the company or industry that you've worked in is folded. Um, if your retirement plan is, is completely gone because the stock market has tanked or um, some other kind of, you know. So what ends up happening is if you measure um, the number of years lost in terms of human life, and um, the impact on residual life. So like a 50-year-old is going to have um, maybe children still to care for. You know, so like actually the, the, the cost of not getting the economy started, it was starting to look like that was really, really outweighing the COVID situation. So that was an interesting bit of news for me to pick up on. And the New York Times ran an article about this. And, and it was more in the style of like a panel that they kind of wrote details on. Um, but you know, the, the thing is, um, to get back to the topic of what's happening right now in the news, um, that the tenseness of trying to figure out where to place all this frustration of lockdown, staying at home, quarantine, don't know what's going on with life. We, we have this absolute joke of a resolution get passed to, to send $1,200 to Americans to sustain them through this crisis. How many Americans even got? Did you get yours? I don't. Know. I got mine, but I you mean, I, I live in California. You live in New York. What does yeah. that mean? You I was going to say, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, you know, I got mine too. But when I talk to people who live in Middle America, they did not get theirs. Really? Not, no, that is not. I have, I have many, many family members and friends who have not received uh, any kind of payment, um, which is quite bizarre. Uh, and, and when I say many, it's because it's supposed to be zero right now. So many is like I can count probably five people off the top of my head that I know still have not received anything, even though they did file the taxes. So something is a little bit weird there. Hmm. Um, and I'm not sure exactly what that's about. But anyway, um, getting off that point, it was, it, was, uh, it was... All right. So of course, my computer kerneled and crashed out right as Wade was getting to the passionate part of his... <laughs> um, but what we were basically <laughs> saying is that, you know, the COVID pandemic has created the perfect storm that has brought us to... Yeah. Uh, yeah, liberty. yeah, and you know, there's there's a number of elements that have really like fed into this. Um, but you know, that kind of tension where we're at home, um, and and it really it is the people who um, were working on the front lines that were hit hardest, and um, disproportionately, it, uh, black and brown communities um, within the U.S. were hit hardest by this pandemic. So then to see, you know, the the horrific murder um, of George Floyd in Minnesota, and um, the reality of police brutality, I mean, the beautiful thing is that it can't be ignored anymore. We, you, because of the advent of social media, um, it is impossible now um, for the news to say one thing when we have the ability to see the tape ourselves. You're lying. You're not telling the truth. You know, and it's it's really, really, I think, um, galvanized a lot of... And I, I think one of the things that I'd like to say also is that we're actually in a Saturn return, if we want to talk about Saturn and Aquarius, Saturn return of the internet. 
Um, the very first website was created when Saturn was at two Aquarius. And uh, really, without social media, you know, I kind of wonder where this movement would be. So, you know, there's something about um, where we're at uh, uh, in terms of this kind of Saturn cycle, which has been quite helpful in being able to amplify a message and get something out there um, for, for us to be able to discuss. Um, but you know, uh, yeah, I mean, now well, that it's interesting too, to, uh, to pick up off that in, in the ability of the common person to actually share their experience, because, you yeah. know, when we look back to, you know, 1991 and uh, Saturn being an Aquarius last time Saturn was an Aquarius and, you know, 91 through like 94, give or take, yeah. um, that is when obviously we can look back and see the, what happened to Rodney King. But the only reason that we had uh, the Rodney King incident, well, not the reason we had it, but that we are aware of it uh, and it brought forth the social movements that it did is because someone was on the street with their camcorder, you know, think about yeah. that, like a VHS, yeah. this big old thing, yeah. uh, recording what was happening to this man. And so that was, uh, you know, with the invent of technology and we think about Aquarius there, uh, that we have that power in our hands to actually record what is happening socially and we don't have to uh, rely on outside opinion or no, we get to see it with our own eyes. Right. And um, it's, it's, you know, clearly back again, uh, but in this much stronger way because every single one of us have a camera in our pocket for the most point, you yeah. know? Yeah, exactly. Um, th- I mean, there is something about Saturn. Now, Saturn um, traditionally rules the melancholic temperament, and the melancholic temperament is the like clever, smart temperament. Um, and you know, they're obsessed with facts and details. The Earth signs belong to this. Practical matters. Um, and then Aquarius, of course, as an air sign, is concerned with um, human things and things that touch humanity, but also, as a result, logic, because this is the domain of um, of um, human thinking type you know, development of um, mental cognition in that direction. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. connected with the earth sign. So if you think Libra, Gemini, Aquarius, those ones are the ones that you most associate with intellectual forms of logic. And because Saturn rules that sign, Aquarius in particular is the kind of logic that is devoid of, you know, any kind of, um, or, or it does tend to be devoid of any kind of um, passion or attempt at spin. Now that's not exactly how it manifests in reality because there are other planets that are playing into any time Saturn's in Aquarius. What it is, is it presents a blank slate, but then every other act can influence it and push it one direction or another. So I want to be very clear in saying that I do believe Saturn and Aquarius is about <clears throat> pushing forward the very clean slate factual agenda, but any other planet that's plugging in has its own agenda to push as well. And when you're starting with a clean slate, that means it's easy to tip the balance. But the thing is about camcorders is, you know, you got the video. It doesn't lie. The, the worst thing that can happen is you don't get enough of what happened before and enough of what happened after, but you've got the facts of what happened while it's recording. And you can see a great deal. Um, so it's really incredible to, to kind of watch that. And um, it's also been really, really remarkable to think about um, what's happening globally in response to this. I mean, we've got people protesting in Ireland and New Zealand. We've got people for so many... I, I can't remember the number of countries. It's in the tens for, for, um, for sure. Um, but, you know, the thing is that black liberation is a global struggle. You know, it's not just a United States struggle. I mean, Amer- American racism is in a class of its own. I mean, I don't <clears throat> want to even, you know, kind of 
try to make an equivocation about you know where the, all these things. You know, I, I'm not nearly informed enough, and I think we would need to turn to a black academic or black scholar or somebody who lives in other countries to step in on that. So I don't want to you know make any kind of comments that I, I really am not educated on enough to, to speak up. But I know a lot about the American system, um, and uh, it's uh, it, it, it's been uh, quite a strained and, uh, and stressful one. And there, there's really not ever been a moment uh, where you know we can really feel like we've done right by the black people of our country. So I'm I'm personally. Uh, you know, I look at what's happening in the world. It is distressing. It is heartbreaking. It is triggering for so many of um, our black brothers and sisters that are out there, our our, um, our neighbors, our friends, our family members, our spouses, um, our enemies as well. You know, God, I don't wish anything um, that, you know, on, on any enemy, you know, to, to have that kind of um, experience um, that we saw happen on, on uh, in response to some of these protests. So, I mean, I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that um, we are seeing now what the Saturn-Pluto conjunction in Capricorn promised, which is a reevaluation of structures, power structures in particular that have been built up over the last couple of hundred years. You know, the the Saturn-Jupiter conjunctions have been happening in Earth signs for the last um, gosh, a couple hundred years. Um, I can actually probably give you um, a date range if there's interest for that. So, um, yeah, so we entered into this in 1802. 1802 was when we entered into the Saturn-Jupiter cycles in the Earth signs. And, you know, when you think about what happened when Saturn and um, Jupiter entered into the Earth signs, you know, we're... Um, and, and I should back up before I jump into this in case listeners aren't aware. Saturn and Jupiter will regularly conjoin in the same triplicity um, for something like between like 10 to 13 different conjunctions. Mm-hmm. And because they're 20 years apart, that can be, you know, over 200 years. It's a number of years we're talking about. So the <clears throat> um, conjunctions in the earth signs, I mean, you're really looking for, I said 1802, but then there was a regression into fire in 1821. And then in 1842, we start the unbroken cycle in earth signs. Now, you know, since we saw that cycle of Saturn, Jupiter, and Earth signs, we've seen the development of the modern corporation. Um, we've seen international conflicts that are across many different continents and geographies. So we're seeing land masses be um, involved in wars that, you know, unprecedented. Um, we see, um, uh, you know, a focus and reliance on fossil fuels also for power and energy, you know, coal um, and the way that we're, we're mining the earth essentially for, um, uh, you know, the ability to, to get energy and get power. Um, the questions of, you know, how well we're going to be able to sustain population, you know, that has now entered into before, And also the creation of the stock market, you know, that didn't exist uh, before this either. So, um, oh, and, and one thing that's of interest to me is currency manipulation being a form of economic bolstering. I mean, that becomes quite a, a common thing. So these are, these are the kind of ideas that have come out of these conjunctions and earth signs. And now what's happening is we're moving into, in 2020, December of this year, Saturn and Jupiter will begin an uninterrupted cycle of conjunctions in air signs. We did, of course, have the air sign conjunction in, I think it was 81, 82. In 80, um, in I think. 
No? Sure. Somewhere, yep. around, somewhere, there. somewhere around there. <laughs> I think you're, I'm going to trust you. I'm not very The year good. that the Apple E came out, you know, the first personal <laughs> computer. Yeah. And that was, you know, we, it's, we have this like 40 year uh, yes, We also cycle. had hyperinflation and all sorts yeah. of crazy stuff. So um, yeah, Saturn and Jupiter um, conjunct in Libra, but that, that was kind of a precursor. It didn't really, um, it, the, the earth cycles weren't finished. The earth cycles finished this year and we move into the air cycles. And so we're, we're about to move into a completely different world. Um, but Saturn, Pluto, that conjunction in Capricorn in an earth sign just before that, you know, it's, it does give such a poetic um, a crescendo mm-hmm. to, to what's happened um, over the last couple of hundred years. One of the things I didn't mention, but I think deserves a fair um, placement within this earth cycle is the um, prevalence of capitalism as a global yes. economic standard. Um, and of course, American capitalism and any other capitalism are not the same. Uh, you know, just have to say that there's something unique about the way America is something. No, we're getting some internet issues. I think we're going to start to have very different conversations about the way that we structure our society and the way that we think, but it might be worthwhile, uh, which is what you had suggested, um, Melissa, is that we take a few steps back and take a look at just one of those planets in Aquarius before we start even talking about the conjunction. So like Saturn in Aquarius, Saturn moving into Aquarius, what does that kind of open us up for? Um, so, you know, in preparation of us talking today, I, I'm going to be reading from some some notes that I've thrown together. So um, mostly because I'm not going to read straight from it, but I've got little <laughs> um, pointers here. You got some pointers. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Because I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Remember that. I remember that. I remember that. Um, but some oh. interesting things. So like in 1991, mm-hmm. Saturn um, was in Aquarius, entered um, in Aquarius. Now for most of 1990, um, Saturn was actually riding out in opposition to Jupiter. So um, there was a Saturn-Jupiter opposition that was happening between 1990 into 1991. And whenever you've got those two planets in opposition, um, what you do see is um, really, really frequently are battles between um, international superpowers, but also internal battles about um, power because they're the two superior planets in terms of um, the, the seven visible planets. And so they, they, they tend to represent two very different ideas or perspectives on governance. Um, and so to see those two in hard aspect, whether that's square or opposition, you do tend to see some you know, really difficult things coming in. But one of the things that I you know, picked up on that I found really interesting was that during that time, it was the dissolution of the USSR. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the USSR uh, first leader was Lenin. I mean, I think it was established in 1922. Um, I'm trying to remember. But the USSR... Um, you know, it was the, um, a, a way of combining a number of different sovereign states together into a um, centrally led regime. And it came together um, as a one-party socialist state. But, you know, from that, um, that, that founding in 1922, from Lenin, we then move into Stalin, and we move from a one-party socialist state to a totalitarian regime, um, which is a totally different beast. But then we continue to move through a number of cycles and socialist intimations until we reach the early 1990s and you, you know, um, stumble upon um, Gorbachev. Now, Mikhail Gorbachev, when I was growing up, I remember hearing his name in the news all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would, do you remember that time? Oh, I mean, yes. 
Yeah, I was like, gosh, this guy has to be the most disgusting. And the birthmark. <laughs> yeah, yes, and the birthmark. I mean, like, he has to be the most disgusting politician. Um, and Gorbachev, you know, he held a number of roles. So uh, he had a, a quite a few jobs. So from 1985, he was the general secretary of the Communist Party. And then he became the country's head um, in 1988, which was the year I was born. So anything before this, you know, can't relate, wasn't alive. Um, <laughs> but then he became the president from 1990 until the dissolution in 1991. And in December of 1991, the dissolution took the form of these accords that were um, signed by all the member states. And um, what ended up happening was... Um, the USR, USSR was dissolved and um, the, it created a commonwealth of independent states, which is still active today um, and, and still part of that part of the, uh, of the world. Um, now, what I found really interesting was on the date of that signing, so that was the 8th of December, 1991, there are some signatures that were happening there that are actually relevant to today. Um, which, which I want to bring up. So the first is that Jupiter was in mid-Virgo. Um, <clears throat> and I wonder if I can, I can probably pull it up on my software like super, super quick to have this 1991. Um, did I give the right date? Yes. And it was the 8th of December, 1990, probably. 1991. Sorry. There we go. So yes, um, what we have um, is a um, a... a, a placement of Jupiter at 14 degrees of Virgo. Okay. Jupiter at 14 degrees of Virgo and then Mars at 16 degrees of Sagittarius. So that agreement was signed at a time where we saw this really tense square. It was very close square as well, two degrees separated. Um, And that same square, Jupiter and Virgo, Mars in mid-Sag, also shows up in the Aries ingress chart for the year Trump was elected. Mm. So historically, we use that um, a chart like that, the and call it the accession chart. So what it is is when a leader rises to a position of prominence. Now historically, you might not know when a king or a potentate officially took power. You know, mm. it, it might have been in the middle of the night. You know, if somebody's been poisoned, you know, you don't know when that person dies. The next one gets. Sometimes you do. And there's usually quite big fanfare, <clears throat> but it was also kind of common um, uh, practice to take the Aries ingress of the year that that person came into power. And that would be their accession chart, essentially. Um, so in Trump's accession chart, we do have this Mars-Jupiter square, which at the time, you know, we were actually seeing a lot of violence happening. I mean, if you can think back to 2016, you know, everything just feels so small in comparison to what's happening now. But there was, you know, in 2016, a lot was happening. We had the, the military coup in Turkey. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Ankara. Yep, we had the shooting at the Orlando um, nightclub. Nightclub. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, there was the Syrian refugee crisis, mm-hmm. which continued for some time after that. But here in the U.S., I mean, beyond there was school shooting after school shooting after event shooting. I mean, there was so much bloodshed. And if you can remember what it felt like to be running up to the election. Um, remember what it felt like in the Democratic Party. You know, forget how you feel about Trump for a moment. The Democratic Party was also completely torn um, because it had come to um, come to light that the Democratic National Convention had actually, you know, really kind of screwed Sanders over and actually done something incredibly um what is the word? Unethical, you know, yeah. and, and against their own bylaws in the support of Hillary Clinton. So there was also, I mean there was so much infighting that was happening that year, but 
What's interesting is this signature of Mars, Jupiter squares, they do tend to, to um, especially when Jupiter is debilitated as um, Jupiter um, was at the dissolution of the USSR and at the time of Trump's election, it really results in a continual degradation of bonds that have been held for a long time. Mm. Okay, Now at the time of the USSR, was um, dissolving. Saturn was already in Aquarius. So these things were happening at the same time. But Saturn is actually just now coming to Aquarius uh, in, in Trump's, um, uh, I don't want to say reign. What is the word? Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny that your mind goes there though. The yes, he's presiding over the presidential office. Um, so at, at any rate, the point is that um, I, I think it will be really interesting to watch the ways that um, how Trump handles the next couple of months leading into December 2020 and the election that we have later this year, presuming that that doesn't get canceled. I mean... Uh, I know, I've had the same thoughts. Well, it's interesting with the whole... Um, well, because we we already know that in the last couple of years, we've had so much issue uh, once again with Russia. And, you know, we yeah. you brought up a good uh, point with the disbanding of the USSR during the last time Saturn was in Aquarius. Mm-hmm. But if we pull it back, there's actually, every time that Saturn's in Aquarius, we are doing something every time. with the Soviet Union. 100%. Because, I mean, exactly. when you look back to uh, Saturn was in Aquarius in yep. 1932 through 1935, yes. that is when the US and the Soviet Union first established a formal diplomatic relationship with exactly yes and that that's <laughs> too is like every single time saturn gets an aquarius we end up in some kind of um there's also um uh, well i'll get to that in a minute but we do end up in some kind of like weirdness with whatever's happening in um that part of the world um whether it's russia ussr whatever i mean that that kind of power um and the us there, there is tension so it will be interesting to watch um where this goes but i didn't mean i didn't know if there's anything else in particular well, about 1991 you mentioned the rodney king well okay so and i will say just for when saturn was in aquarius again in 62 and 64 which is so ripe with so many events to talk about um but that's when we had the cuban missile crisis that yep, had you know crisis. ussr you know uh basically having nukes in that area uh yeah. to have it ready and and the, but then it was, you know, uh, and that was actually when the Saturn was conjunct the South Node. Um, exactly. In and, and Saturn was conjunct the South Node um, when this whole thing, I, I was noticing when you talked about the Sun-Mars conjunction, mm-hmm. Saturn was exactly conjunct the South Node on that date. <clears throat> so, exactly. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's quite interesting. <laughs> But, you know, I mean, if we pull back to 62 and 63, the time, like two times back when Saturn was in Aquarius, there's a lot going on. It's a Cuban Missile Crisis, of course. But, you know, there was also, um, we, we had the um, March on Washington. So mm-hmm. the, um, the, the, the revolutionary march that every kid learns, um, uh, it's somewhere between 200 to 300,000 people marching to Washington, D.C., where Martin Luther King gave um, his famous I Have a Dream speech. Um, and the, it, I mean, reports vary on, you know, how willing the Kennedy administration was to actually work with King, um, uh, on, uh, civil rights legislation that was getting moved through. I mean, the, the reality is that the Kennedy family actually getting joined up to the, um, the, the civil rights movement was entirely an accident. It was the result of John F. K. Uh, John F. K. It was a result of JFK's campaign manager. So what, what it ended up happening was JFK wanted nothing to do. When, when Martin Luther King got arrested, okay, and he ended up in jail, 
JFK didn't want anything to do with it because he thought it was going to hurt his campaign, and he didn't really care. He had he had he had no concern about the civil rights movement. In fact, he's been on record um, to kind of uh, you know chalk it up to um, a ridiculous um, uh, part of American history. I mean, these are the things that he had to say. But what ended up happening was his brother, who was his campaign manager, actually had. Um, uh, the foresight uh, to recognize that this was a, a big deal, and this is the direction the, com- uh, the country was moving. And if if JFK wanted to win the election, he needed to get on the right side of history. Yeah. So without telling JFK, his brother, I think it was Andrew Kennedy, but I can't remember which one it was. But anyway, his brother picks up the phone um, and essentially, you know, kind of arranges um, for uh, there to be some kind of discussion or, or, or um, with the jail that was holding on to um, uh, holding uh, MLK. So what ends up happening is MLK gets released and then he goes on national television saying that he understands that the Kennedy campaign had and JFK in particular had something to do with negotiating his release, which was not true. It wasn't true at all. It was his brother <clears throat> trying to get political favor and, and use this um, as a way to kind of step up. So the thing is, um, and of course, after that, you know, the, um, there, there has been um, th- that was when really platforms kind of swapped because um, and and the Democratic Party seemed to um, to, to gravitate more towards building a, um, a base of black voters, which had not really been the case before. Um, <clears throat> so. Anyway, you know, with the Saturn and Aquarius cycle, I mean, there's some, some pretty interesting things connecting to um, the, the history of the civil rights movement in the U.S. that, is, um, that has gone on. And one of the things that um, I thought was kind of interesting, well, there's two interesting things. One of them is just like a, um, this is not connected to anything, not about news, not about social cycles. But there was actually um, a new moon and solar eclipse that happened on um, February um, uh, it was on the 4th and the 5th, and I believe it was 1992. Let me take a look at my um, software right now, 1992. Um, yeah, there we go. Um, but basically what ended up happening was we had um, a conjunction across um, the 4th and 5th of um, the sun and the moon and all five of the classical planets all within 16 degrees of each other, all in Aquarius. <clears throat> so... Um, I, you know, I, I really wanted to find like a really interesting person who was born at that time. Um, and <laughs> to say, but there was an actress. I mean, she she played in the the Hateful Eight, um, and she was the one who would actually. I mean, that movie. Have you seen Hateful Eight? I oh wait, no, I think I have. I think I, it's the Golden uh, Brother ones, but oh my gosh, it was so. Whew, that is that is a real. That movie is intense. Or, or maybe it was. Um, who's the one that does all the blood and gore? Yeah, it was really violent, wasn't it? Yes, it was. It's, it's, I don't violent. watch a whole. I, I watch well, her them and character they just was my brain. the most chilling. Her character was the most chilling. They all ended up in like a cabin or something, was yes. it? Okay, that yes. Okay, yes, I did one. see that movie. <laughs> yes, that was the one. Oh my gosh, it's absolutely frightful. Um, okay, so, but getting out of that, getting out of that. <clears throat> I do want to say a couple things about the Jupiter uh, connection with some of the things yeah. that you've talked about because. Yeah. Um, that you know, Jupiter does seem to play a role in some of in in the movement, um, and we know that Jupiter is going to meet later with Saturn this year, yeah. uh, in yeah. you know, in that big great shift that is happening yeah. with the triplicities. <clears throat> uh, so we'll have to hold out for you know, <laughs> we're getting yeah. some precursors, but we'll sure. you know, even when Martin Luther King had his "I Have a Dream" speech, because 
at that time, uh, I mean, it was a supportive connection, which is interesting when you're saying I have a dream, you know, we're looking for support. Uh, but that was when Jupiter was in Aries, um, making a sextile to Saturn in uh, yeah. Aquarius, yeah. while the moon in Sagittarius was also in sextile and trining in. Sun yeah. was conjunct Venus, Uranus, and Pluto in Virgo. You know, yeah. it, was, it, it was a ripe chart. So there was, yeah. there is that push <laughs> of Jupiter there. Well, um, absolutely. But what we have to remember is Jupiter signifies the blessed. You know, so mm-hmm. it's Jupiter is going to signify the people who are already in power, okay? And this is a huge distinction that needs to get made. That sextile between Jupiter and Aries and Saturn and Aquarius, because the other thing to mention about Saturn, and I'm going to get on this in just a little bit because I do have a point to make about this. Saturn very often shows up as a representation of individuals who um, are forced into some kind of um, geopolitical diaspora. So Mm -hmm. Saturn has a a natural signification for people in exile, um, for people who have been um, turned out of doors um, and for one reason or another are no longer connected to their home. Okay, either it's an ancestral home or um, uh, maybe a family home. It could be quite personal, but Saturn has that kind of connection. Okay, so people who have Saturn really strong in their birth charts may also feel, um, you know, some kind of dissimilarity or, or dis- disconnect um, from their immediate family, but also maybe run to community. Um, to, to fill that void of family and sometimes find that community isn't home either. So um, it's a lifelong, you know, kind of... But anyway, the point is that Seattle's got... A, Seattle. Saturn. <laughs> Seattle's not on my mind. I'm not going to talk about Seattle tonight. I don't know why I said that. Saturn um, has a connection to that kind of diasporic... Um, uh, and, and Ibn Ezra had made the point about this with the Jewish people. Okay, so, yeah. um, you know, he had made a connection uh, many, 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 many centuries ago. And just recently, somebody on um, Twitter who... Oh gosh, I want to give credit to who it was, but I know it was the very first time I spoke to this person and I cannot remember if I've got the individual right, but I want to say it was Dion, Astro by Dion. Um, but somebody, in fact, I'm like 99% sure it was Dion. But the point that was made um, is that the connection between Saturn um, and uh, uh, the point that was made on Twitter was you know, Saturn um, represents or signifies black people. Um, and the comments were, you know, there is the connection maybe to color of skin um, being oppressed. And I, I can see, you, know, you could see the link, you know, all the mm-hmm. way through. Ibn Ezra had made a comment um, <clears throat> you know, about the physical features of um, the Jewish people in his time and saying that they looked like Saturn, you know, physically had the features of Saturn, like large nose, large ears. You know, he was pulling on these kind of like basic tropes of Saturn. But at any rate, um, the, the the point that was in common between what Ibn Ezra had to say and what um, was said on Twitter, who I'm 99, oh my gosh, I'm, I feel so <laughs> bad that I can't say with 100% certainty. Um, I think it was Dion. Um, the, the commonality is this diasporic element and being turned out of doors and kicked out of home and, you know, this kind of wandering sense of like trying to find place. And it's not a permanent thing. You know, it, 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 it's, it's a situational thing that will change over time. You know, it wouldn't have been an appropriate symbol um, for uh, um, the African people long before the slave trade it wouldn't, any more than it would have been appropriate for the Jewish people before, um, you know, Jewish exile and slavery. Yeah. Um, although Jewish history... It, find a time where that wasn't part of their life. You know, so it's, I mean, I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth. But the point is that Jupiter sextile, Jupiter signifies people in power. So when I have a a dream speech, when Jupiter is in Aries, we're lending the power of institution back to Saturn. So we're seeing something very specific happen there. Okay. What we're seeing happening now is Jupiter is weakened. Mm-hmm. Jupiter's in Capricorn. Jupiter's retrograde. And Jupiter's also conjunct its own south node. I don't know if you know 
of that. So Jupiter's Uh, is in Capricorn. So it is currently um, moving in a, in a way where it is descending in its own, um, <clears throat> in its own uh, path or uh, elliptical path. So everything about you know, the symbolism of gentry and people and wealth and power, it's being taken way back. You know, the reins are being taken back and Saturn is now able to establish some kind of foothold and some dominance. So it's quite exciting, but it flips the idea on its head. Jupiter was involved, but in this case before in 1963, we're talking about a time when the institutions in power supported this. You know, what was interesting for me to learn was that a lot of the marches that um, had, uh, surrounding the civil rights movement, and rightly so, were very restrictive about who could participate. Mm. You know, you needed to be part of this organization or this group, and that's all who were, because you needed to know who you could trust. Yeah. But there was a different policy that was taken for this I Have a Dream speech, and, and everybody was welcome to join. And, and, and these walls weren't there. You can see that in that Saturn Jupiter cycle as well. You know, now when we're taking a look at Saturn Jupiter cycle, that's currently in play and currently in effect. The really amazing thing is, um, and I love this, the question is getting turned back to white people. You ask yourself if you belong here. Mm -hmm. Do you belong on the streets marching with us? Do you belong here protesting? Are you doing this to be a performative ally? Are you doing this to appear to care about this cause? Are you doing it for um, you know, to, to for for Instagram likes. I mean, the number of people the visibility, visibility. The number of people um, and organizations right now who have made remarkably racist choices over the last ten years that are just jaw dropping now that they're coming to the surface. I mean, not jaw dropping if you're a black person because they've been living this life, but this is coming now to full visibility for white eyes in a way that is just completely undeniable. And it's it's about time that you know we as as white people made our reckoning with this. Um, and it's our job now. It's our labor, our labor. It's, 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 you know, black people have done more than enough to, to, to take us part of the way in understanding what's going on. We should be able to assess our own behavior, our own choices and our own mentalities. So what's happening now is instead of this, you know, everybody's welcome to join the movement or, you know, we're closing this off until, uh, only to people that we know. It's like the responsibility is on you now, you know? And if you choose um, to, to take part in this without owning racist choices that you've made, um, bigoted choices that you've made um, in your history, if you don't own that, if you don't claim it, and if you don't make right by it, if you don't make restitution, um, you're going to get hung out to dry. And that's the right thing. You know, you don't get to, um, to participate when it's cool and leave behind the burden of inequality when it's tough. You know, so I think things are changing and it's really inspiring. And it's one of the most robust ways that I've seen a debilitated Jupiter get turned around into something so good and something that has such potential runway for us um, as we look forward. Sorry. Yes. Uh, <laughs> At some point you have to simulate it, you know, and it's like, here's the thing is like, this is the testament of cycles, because if the same thing keeps coming back up every time we get to a certain point of cycles with different, um, you know, other planetary characteristics at play and different configurations, different signs, you know, we're, we're, and that's the thing is you have, sometimes you have to accept where you are now because, and and that's part of it, you know, things are doled out in a a timing. And I will say what you were saying earlier um, uh, about, you know, Saturn being with the people that are exiled or, you know, yeah. um, 
Christopher Renstrom did a fabulous workshop on uh, Saturn looking at uh, that I took that was talking all about those types of things. And so looking oh, wow, at Saturn. Cool. So I will uh, give Christopher some props there if he does yeah, that sure. lecture or that workshop cool. somewhere else, you know. Yeah, Christopher's um, but, amazing. Um, yeah. yeah, that's great. But to play into the other Jupiter example um, with the opposition that you had brought up uh, in the early 90s, in in 91, in March of 91, the day, the exact day of Jupiter and Leo opposing Saturn and Aquarius were when the officers were indicted for the Rodney King uh, beating. Um, You know, and of course, I didn't actually know that. So that was the exact day. That makes makes total sense. Um, and it's interesting because the whole thing was doled out, um, you know, into... What was the date? Sorry, can you... Uh, you that's March 15th, 91. Uh, and they made the opposition at three degrees of Leo and Aquarius. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting too, because, I mean, then later on, you know, April 29th through May 4th, that's when the, the jury acquits them. And then, of course, we have the uh, riots take place and, all, you know, what happened in LA. Uh, but then... Fast forward to March 9th of 92, um, when Rodney King actually testifies into a federal trial against these cops, was when Saturn squared Pluto in its first pass, which Saturn was squaring Pluto yep. in Scorpio yep. at that time, too, yep. that was playing in, yep. like you had said. It's, it's always different with the, you know all the cast of characters that play and what we're going to get. And why this time yes. is just so um, fascinating with all the shifts and why we could actually see major change because yeah. of all the grand conjunctions that are taking place and the shift of, you know, Jupiter and Saturn mm-hmm. moving into a new mm-hmm. uh, humane triplicity, less focused on, you know, the, it, so it's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of hope there, but there's a lot of discomfort uh, because of the fact that if you want something new and you want to start a, a whole new way of being, that it's something that's yep. so entrenched, and we need to talk about that. Um, we need to talk about that. So I think that's a perfect segue into what I want to talk about the 1930s. Okay. So Saturn Aquarius, 1933. We had, we had, I mean, what do we know what happened in the 1930s? Uh, late 20s, early 30s, Great Depression. The Great Depression, um, Dust Depression. Bowl. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was a lot going on at that time. And what we find is that there were two very different approaches to economic recovery um, happening in two parts of the world. Um, and it's, I think it's worthwhile for us to explore this. One, and the reason I'm going to say, so I, I want to step back before I walk into this and say, one of the things that we need to really think about, I know everyone's really excited about Saturn moving into Aquarius, all these things moving into Aquarius, there's going to be a new future, a new era. And yes, that will be what results. We need to be really careful and not making the very naive assumption that we're going to get it right the first time. In fact, there's every reason to believe we're probably going to get it disastrously wrong the first time. Um, and when I say disastrously, I mean like the kind that is like so appallingly not right um, that, that it requires um, its own kind of revolution of sorts, its own kind of change, its own kind of push and pull. Um, what people think about Aquarius is that it's revolutionary. I don't understand where that came from. I mean, it has to have come from this idea of Uranus uh, yeah. and Aquarius and that kind of connection. The reality is that um, <clears throat> Aquarius, uh, if it's revolutionary, it's only because it finds a way to return things back to basics. And when you are away from the basics for a really long time, basics feels revolutionary. <laughs> you know, it feels um, like absolutely um, mind shifting, but it really isn't. It's, it's probably one of the most common sense, not convoluted, 
bing, bang, boom, here's your deal. But to accomplish this, you know, we have to remember that Aquarius is the opposite sign to Leo and they exist on an axis for a reason. Aquarius is a fixed sign. It's ruled by the most superior planet and that planet is not a very kind or forgiving planet. You know, there is a certain kind of... Lynn Bell said this, um, this is where I heard this connection first, but she and I were kind of playing off each other when we were speaking about this, but I love the word she used. Aquarius is very dogmatic and it's very possible, incredibly likely actually, if we take a look at the history of Saturn and Aquarius, incredibly likely that in our efforts to change, we embrace something that looks like change because it sounds like change Mm. because it feels like it's got the kind of preaching revelatory message we're looking for. And I'm constantly reminded of Julianne Moore's role in the Hunger Games as Alma Coyne. Do you remember her as the president in the Hunger Games? Did you watch the Hunger Games? Mm, I do, but I can't remember it. (laughs) Someone uh, will know. uh, yeah, exactly. I'm going to give um, a spoiler warning here. If you ever, if you care about that storyline, um, like fast forward 30 seconds. But the point is, Alma Coyne, she was the the head of, a, of the resistance um, within this um, within this Hunger Games universe, where um, it, it's exactly what it sounds like: people competing for um, essentially bare bare survival. Um, um, and, and, and that's the whole premise of the thing. Um, and the Hunger Games themselves are, is this arena where, where people are, are brought forward um, from di- disparate districts um, to compete and 11 are killed and one lives. Um, or it's two from every district. So um, 23 die and one live or something like this. Or, or Yeah, I think that's how it works. Um, but in resistance to this kind of um, totalitarian regime, um, there is a rebellion that grows to which... I- our um, heroine, Katniss Everdeen, kind of you know stands up and, and becomes the the voice of this and the image. But there is an elected leader of the rebellion named Alma Coyne, and that's played by Julianne Moore. And she looks like Saturn to me. She has gray hair, pale face. Um, everything she wears is gray, muted colors, muted tones. Um, she has the kind of broad forehead um, of somebody who um, is symbolized by um, Jupiter. Her hair is flat and fine. Um, I mean, everything about the way that she appears, the way that she looks, um, is has, has a really strong um, Saturnian theme. And the the point that I want to make is that Alma Coin. Um, so if you fast forward thirty seconds, fast forward another thirty seconds. <laughs> um, she turned out to be exactly the thing that they were trying to overthrow. Once they won, once the rebellion won, and she stepped forward as the natural fit. Then she started to reveal that actually her plans um, were no different. It just were different people in power. Mm-hmm. You know, she was the same problem that was masked and coded in something else. But of course, um, and that was resolved very, very quickly by decisive action. And if it hadn't been, it would have been almost impossible to dislodge her because there'd already been one rebellion, so much death, and it didn't change anything. What's the point of trying it again? Okay, this is the thing that I get worried about when I think about you know us talking about how we're going to move towards a new future together, um, how we're going to change and adapt the way that we work, how we're going to expect new economic models, new political models to serve us. And I think it's very easy for somebody who's a little, little, little more clever than the average person, a little more clever than you and me, to get us signed up 
for what sounds like a really good idea until we see it in action. And the thing is, for a country as big as we are, it is really slow to turn things. We're like the Titanic, you know, it's, it's a big shit to turn around, mm-hmm. you know, so it, it, it's, it's really important to stay extremely vigilant to the messages, the undertones, and the history of the individuals and the voices um, that are getting lifted up as the dust starts to clear. Um, because I do believe we're headed towards revolution. I don't think it's, there's any other direction now. I didn't really think that that was the case before, but I think it's, it seems um, uh, quite likely. And of course, with Uranus moving into Gemini, um, you know, we, that's a, the U.S. has always been at war. And there's been... Exactly. Years. Yeah, well, many, and all the Saturn Uranus squares that are about to happen in 2021, exactly, too. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, um, and you know, in, in the American Revolution, um, Uranus, sorry, Pluto was at eight degrees of Taurus and Uranus is at eight degrees of Taurus now. So you can kind of see that, you know, these outer planet transits and triggers to our history, they, they do spark something inside mm-hmm. of us. Um, but at any rate, the point is that astrologers had been thinking about this Uranus and Gemini for some time as potentially being a civil war, you know, yeah. and not being a very realistic place for this to go. So you know, I, I mean, on some level, is the revolution a little bit too early? Probably. I think we're still going to have to wait a little bit. But I, I, there is a bit of a caution about, you know, Saturn's in Aquarius. This is Saturn-Jupiter conjunction. We're entering into a new era. We're almost certainly going to get it wrong the first time. And I want to kind of give a historical example of what this looks like. So in 1933, um, we're coming out of World War One. We're coming out of the Great Depression. Two very different approaches um, to how we handle um, economic recovery. And, and throughout this process, Saturn is in Aquarius. Now in Europe... The response to the Great Depression and the economic void left by World War I led to the rise of the Nazi party in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1933, when Saturn entered into Aquarius, Hitler was appointed the chancellor in Germany um, and moved um, um, Germany into a totalitarian regime, a one-party dictatorship that was focused on national socialism. So that was the direction that that party went. And over time, um, it, it wasn't even very long. I mean, um, Hitler almost immediately began having secret meetings um, with cabinet and council to inform him of his plans for German-dominated Europe and what that meant, um, which included um, extermination of uh, the Jewish peoples. So it was it didn't take long for this to, to happen behind closed doors. It took longer for that to become visibly made manifest mm-hmm. or or to catch the airwaves in a way um, where there was response. You know, we didn't get into um, World War II until, I mean, when did World War II officially start? It was in the early 40s, right? I mean, so well, for us. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, by the time that we actually got involved, I mean, world, it, but I mean, that's the thing. I mean, the, the conflict was happening, but it doesn't become a world war until a lot of us are really starting to join in. It's, I mean, otherwise, it's just a war. Um, but Anyway, but yes, so you can start to see the crescendo and moving up into that kind of an event. Now, at the exact same time, okay, that Hitler is getting appointed to the Nazi party in Germany and and this evil seed is getting planted, okay, Mm -hmm. the exact same time, we have Roosevelt over here in the United States who brings forward the New Deal, okay? So what is the New Deal? Um, The New Deal was um, meant to be a way... from the Great Depression. And three R's, which were relief, reform, and recovery. So it was the development of social programs, um, public infrastructure work, whatever we needed to do to get the American people back to work and to be able to have some kind of economic prosperity. And it focused a lot on the reality of the American populace. A huge, overwhelming percentage of the American population were farmers at this time. Um, And so 
appropriately, the um, the New Deal focused on supporting farmers and young people, but also the elderly. And that's really important to remember. You know, we really do not do well by the elderly in our care mm-hmm. now. Um, and I think Saturn, anything happening with Saturn cycles, the elderly are always going to step forward um, and, and some need to care. You know, we've had Saturn-Pluto conjunct in Capricorn. Um, and, you know, I can't help but think there's got to be some link there with this COVID situation. I it, mean, a lot of us, right? They're a lot afflicted, of, you know? For, well, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it, was, it skipped over children entirely mm-hmm. and went straight to, um, to um, the elderly. There's nothing more Saturn or Capricornian than that. Mm-hmm. Of course, the Saturn, Jupiter, and air signs. I mean, last time we had Saturn, Jupiter, and air signs, um, the Black Plague wiped out. And first of all, it started in the 1100s, if I believe I got my years right. But um, no, that can't be right. But when it, that, that conjunction first happened in Aquarius, because I believe that the move into the air triplicity started in Gemini, when it started in Aquarius, one third of the European population got wiped out in that time from the Black yeah. Plague. So, you know, it is... Um, Absolutely uh, connected also to this um, because there is something about um, diseases um, and the um, diseases that are very easily transferred person to person through air signs. Airborne, you know, and I'm just going to say, because I say this and I want people to be very aware of it when we're talking about even just, when we're talking about this time span, looking back to the 1930s, back to the 1920s, you know, it took until the 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 onset of the 20th century to reach a population of 1 billion. And we now sit at almost 8 billion. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, it was 6 billion. Yeah. You have to take this into account. And I know that we are just, you know, the natural survival instinct and our amygdala brain is like, no, we have to save all the people, you know, but the reality is, is that there Are a lot and and sometimes and I don't want to be like the uh, maybe yeah, I'm yeah, yeah, my no, Saturn I mean, conjunct you, North Node and Virgo talking right here. Well, I get what you're you saying. Know? Like there's a population <laughs> control question. You know, there, there is. is. Um, you know, but but I mean, no one can make decisions on that, but. It's, well, yes, I'm just saying it's a thing. It's a thing. Yeah, I mean, we do. Yeah, we have to ask questions about sustainability on Earth. Um, and of course, we are looking towards colonies on the moon, Mars. You know, I mean, this is... Uh, no. It's not abnormal now to, to, to have conversations about this. But at any rate, you know, the, the new deal that was put forward by Roosevelt really focused on the people who needed the help most. Um, and because of the amount of... Um, hyper-deflation, there was a need to reinflate the economy um, because prices had fallen um, in, in, in such a, a um, quick way. But there are going to be some really familiar things that happened at that time. Um, banking reform was a huge part of the New Deal. Okay, now, when we talk about banking, it has no, almost no resemblance to banking today. Banking today is this hybrid bastardized beast um, that really probably took shape in the 70s, 80s. I mean, this is the, the, the form of banking we've got today and the kind of evil kind of signatures we have around it. I mean, it, there, there's no, it was a very respectable, understandable job you know, for, for um, quite some time. And now it's just gotten to this nasty place in, in a, um, plenty of different documentaries that anybody could watch to study up on how banking has changed over the decades. Um, but the point is with the banking reform, it's an interesting bit of history. Um, now, banks failed mostly because of substantial losses in investment banking. Okay, so bankers were going out there investing in different places. Great Depression starts to um, come around. We're starting to see big losses, but this is very early stages. We weren't in the Depression yet. We were just beginning to see some big, sustained, heavy losses in investments. 
But what ends up happening is you tell people that there are sustained losses in, in um, investments. Some banks go under. So what ends up happening is what's called a bank run. So people go to the bank and take all their money out because they're afraid you're about to go under. But you create a self-fulfilling prophecy here because if you take all your money out of the bank, they do go under. Go under. <laughs> they do go under. That's, That's what they're exactly running on. on. <laughs> yeah. And actually, some, some very, very, um, uh, uh, very clever um, economists um, have more or less you know, kind of said, well, this is the reason the Great Depression became the Great Depression anyway. It was because of this huge issue with banking crisis at that time. Um, and in response, FDR actually closed banks for a number of days so people couldn't go back to actually like kind of close things down, um, which I thought was kind of um, interesting. So I learned all that, that bit about the banking bit on Wikipedia today. So I, you know, I wasn't clever on that. That's, so that's available for people to find online. I got into like a, hmm, what happened with banking during this time? Kind of like and just, you know, yeah. fell into a Wikipedia hole, which was kind of interesting. But, but one of the things that was um, worth noting is that the US also fell off of the gold standard. So I think when we think about gold, we often think about the sun because the sun naturally signifies gold, but Saturn is the sun's like quote unquote traditional enemy mm-hmm. or the antithesis of the sun. Um, when we see that planet moving into a different place, we start to see gold be devalued and kind of something else becoming um, the standard. Um, so I, I think I, I'm not a financial markets guy, and I don't know, you know, what to say um, about gold. But what I, you know, whether or not Saturn moving into Aquarius is good for gold or bad for gold. But what happened in the 30s was that um, to help reinflate global currency, um, or sorry, um, US currency, what FDR did was he suspended the gold standard, which yes. used to for every dollar that you have, it's matched back to um, um, a certain amount of gold. And they set a fixed amount that gold is worth. And there was no longer any kind of guaranteed pricing for how much money you had versus how much gold there was, which means that you can print a lot of money. As much as you want. A, a lot of money goes into this into circulation and this is called inflation. And what ends up happening now are prices go up, things go up. And as a result, we start to see the economy come back online. So actually, uh, it, was a, it was a very wise choice of FDR to, to divorce this um, from what would essentially have been golden shackles, really, you know, to use that metaphor quite literally. It would have been golden shackles to have stayed on the gold standard in, in, um, in this era. Um, now, the, the New Deal, I mean, you know, it, it, it had congressional approval, but it also went through in some ways through executive order. So there was a lot of systemic support for this, but a large part of this was also because included in the New Deal was the reversal of the prohibition. So if you know about the 21st, was it the 20th Amendment or the 21st? Um, alcohol, alcohol sale was made illegal. And part of the New Deal was to overturn that because it was a ridiculous law. No one was happy about it and people were able to purchase alcohol again. So it was, you know, some of this was probably piggybacking on the excitement. And and isn't it just funny how they just sandwich that in to be like, (laughs) we know you want to get drunk. So we're we're just going to put that in there. And then, you know, everybody deserves a a little bit of, a little bit of poison (laughs) with their whatever. So anyway, the the, the point that I want to make is like, there are two very different models here of how to use Saturn and Aquarius. Um, you know, what Hitler did in Europe was use this as a time um, to center on nationalism and to focus on um, taking the facts of economic depression to galvanize um, this very, very dark Saturnian force um, of forced domination. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and, uh, and also um, oppression and, and to, to make oppression a core part of the regime. In America... 
in the 30s, the response was to use that same kind of energy and that same kind of signature to go back to basics. Everyone should have a good job. Everyone should able to be able to buy food. Everyone should be able to have housing. We should be able to feel good about the social programs we have. Social security was established in the New Deal, as well as a number of other um, associations and administrations um, that have supported um, or was meant to support the social welfare of the American public. Now, as we know, um, Black Americans were not included in this. You know, this mm-hmm. was this was as great as that sounds. We still really, really did not get it. You know, we did not understand um, and we didn't want to understand. We, we had all the mental faculties to understand that what we were doing was wrong. It was absolutely wrong, but it was just not on the tips of anyone's tongue and it was not a matter of importance. Um, so, you know, with, with great irony, okay, the US is able to come up with the New Deal. Take a look what's happening in Nazi Germany and say, how dare you oppress people? I know. Then, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's, we're happy to do it to our own people. Okay. But we're not, and I'm not even sure that, you know, you could get consensus on the labeling of people for black persons in the, you know, there, there was um, um, uh, so much attitude um, towards these, towards human life as being less than um, at this time. So I just want to say there's still so much room for us to fuck it up. I, I don't, I don't want to give this kind of impression that Saturn moving into Aquarius bodes well for everybody. It bodes well for people who do the right thing and, and for people who push for the right thing and who expect the right thing and demand the right thing. Um, the signature is overwhelmingly um, ripe for us to be able to completely reimagine the way that we work. But what that means is we need to stop making assumptions that all we need to do is import Marxism or socialism into today and that'll solve it. No system that we import into modern times is going to change the people who are using the system. It doesn't, that isn't how it works. Every time that we've changed political systems or economic systems universally, it's been the same people in power who've driven the same outcomes, which has resulted in some people moving up, many, many people getting pushed down. And the other thing that I want to say is, you know, now that we're moving into this idea of, um, uh, moving into air conjunctions, we need to stop drawing on political and economic philosophy from the Earth era. We're, yeah. we, we're out of that. You know, Marxism was a really, really um, compelling, revolutionary, inspiring idea, but it's a theory. It's never actually been put into place effectively. But let's put that aside. What's in, what's in Marx's works are some of the most compelling, beautiful, empathetic policies that you're going to find. There, it, it's, it, it's so much that it makes sense. But they were written, I don't want to say but, because what that does is when you say but, it negates everything at the part, front part of the sentence. That's all true. But it's also true that that was written for um, a time where most work was done in you know, production, um, it, production, manufacturing facilities, farm work. This was what work looked like. So when you talk about people who, um, you know, like uh, the, the the people who own the means of production and the workers themselves, it's easy to point to what that looks like when you've got a factory. You know, you, it's easy. But what do you do when you've got data now? You know, your 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 decision to make a transaction here, walk in that door over there. There are about eighty different people who are tracking this kind of thing about movement. And it's impossible to say anymore where that value is actually derived, where the money is actually made in data points anymore. It's impossible. Is it made on US soil? Is it made off of US soil? Is it made 
um, by the person who's committing the act, or is it made by the person who's actually measuring that the act was done, whether that's the transaction or whatever, you know. So now that we're moving to a much more data-heavy, internet-heavy world, we've got to really think about what value generation looks like. And I'm so encouraged by conversations about universal basic income. Me too. Yeah, I'm really encouraged by conversations that are moving us toward this recognition that we don't all still need to work. Yeah, the the value that's placed on work, and I mean that's what's you really happening. You know, <laughs> well, that's why we're tumbling into the biggest you know uh, unemployment that we've ever yes. had because at some time we have to have a break in the cycle to be un- right. to understand like what's next there and the data farming and what's going on there is like one of yeah. the biggest businesses that exist Absolutely. right now. Absolutely, but you know the thing is, we just keep on coming up with ways to keep ourselves busy, and <laughs> yes. that's the question. I mean, that's the question is like. Why do we do that? Now, there's two reasons. One is greed and one is because you're never going to stop human desire to innovate like that. I mean, wanting to push the boundaries on things, you're always going to have your cholerics. You're always going to have your dreamers out there, your doers, your pioneers. You're always going to have that. But you know, when we turned the farming industry into a completely automated form of work, Mm -hmm. we don't need... We used to require 40% of the the American population be farmers to feed this country. We have now less than 2%. We have more food than we can actually get rid of. Yeah. We don't need to work anymore, but we don't know what to do with ourselves in absence of work. We have for thousands of years relied on work to provide essential needs. And I'm hoping that the movement into the air um, triplicity invites a new conversation about what is essential in life now, um, because we can have so many of our needs met. We can end poverty like that. We can end homelessness like that. We can end hunger like that. We have the solutions in place. It's also shifting the idea of value and your value, value and your personal worth and this out is, of the idea of you being productive. And, uh-huh. and that's what's so tied up. And you know, maybe that's your honest you know, Taurus. Really <laughs> yeah. And I've never supported this idea that Venus has value. Every planet imports its value and brings mm-hmm. its value. And Saturn and Jupiter have a very different idea of what value is. But when they come together for conjunction, we have a new opportunity to ask that question um, with different changing context with, with, with different understanding about the world. So, I mean, it's my hope that we take this opportunity to, to challenge um, what, we, what we want to see different in our world. Ask questions about, you know, does anybody need to work? Do, and if we do, what's the role of profit in our lives? Do we need to have profit anymore? What is the role um, and responsibility um, of earners um, and and um, owners of businesses to their workers, and also back to you know change in taxation laws. For instance, like why? I mean, why is it that corporations aren't paying taxes? I mean, these these are these are very very basic questions. But I think we're coming at them from a completely new angle now, or at least I hope so. So I mean, that's I mean, I think that's probably everything I've got to say on Saturn and Aquarius. Um, <laughs> It's, it's, not, it's actually not everything I have to say, but I'm also conscious like we can't take four hours. But um, not to mention, just- there's we have to wait and have more time with it too, because you know yeah. we're we're dancing in the first cycles of what this looks like now. Yeah, and we're gonna um, die before it's over. You know, um, the it'll be hundreds of years before we really understand what this movement into Earth signs. And the reason I care about it so much is because Saturn's moving into Aquarius. Yes, but they're Jupiter. And Saturn are both moving into Aquarius mm-hmm. at the start of this new cycle. So Aquarius has a big thing to, to provide. Um, and, and it's going to be, um, it's a lot. 
It is a lot. It's it's a it's a lot to take in. Um, and there there is that that hope that we are architecting this new future. But I think the message that you brought forward with being very conscious of not necessarily getting it right the first time um, is very important because I you know it's easy to be like I having Aquarius just be so caught up in the, the revolutionary idea and how maybe Uranus got in there. And we can't, you know, having, I have Uranus exactly on my ascendant. And I know that there is a rigidity to that planet as well, too. Even if you want to tie yeah. in Uranus with Aquarius, if you go by those means and knowing that Saturn will square, um, you know, Uranus and Taurus, that it's not always all revolution or it could be masked in something that is very... Preach, you know, tight in its constraint, <laughs> new, new forms, new, new chains. They're prettier, new cha- exactly. <laughs> like they're prettier, you know. And and sometimes yeah. we got to realize when we're pushing so hard for something that sometimes we might be pushing us even into a uh, uh, higher level of oppression that we see now. And that yeah. is kind of what I just wanted to put out there as we, you know, and we have to learn as we go. That's the thing is that we are yeah. not these all knowing people, and we learn every day. Um, and then that's just part of the process of the you know of evolving as people yeah. as a society um and humanity and sure. and the one thing I'm, I'm absolutely certain of is we are moving the right direction and recognizing that there is no room to negotiate on the subject of black liberation no room to negotiate there is i am so i am so proud um to be alive in times when we can actually see white opinion shift so quickly um Ooh, I almost just started crying. So I'm just going to stop. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll just stop. Those are tears of joy because you yes, know. Well, it's, it's a little bit of sadness because it shouldn't have been this hard. But yeah. um, it's, it is, and in the end, it is joy. It is, you know, and you know, what do they say? The, the, good, the good things take time. You know, the, the real change, the real change is not fast change. It is, it's slow. Is it once back to Saturn? You know, it's slow. It's purposeful. It's, it's, change that is slow is integrated more wholly than it is. Yes. I think that's probably very true. I think that's very true. Hastily. But hopefully we start setting a bar for there are some kinds of change that we're just not going to, you know, tolerate anymore about how long it takes, you know? Um, So fingers crossed, but there are some changes like, you know, political systems and um, economic systems that take, that take, decades to, to change. So and we can't that. rely on all the systems, you know, I, I'm always the proponent of like the individual, you know, yep. and this 100%. is, this is Aquarius too. One conversation at a time, one relationship at a time. That's how culture changes, exactly. not by policies, systems, any, it's one relationship heart to heart. Um, and this is something that I, I have found so inspiring that um, water science have taught me and you, you know, you got your cancer, right? So yeah, <laughs> So you'll understand that very well. Oh, Wade. Fabulous conversation. I'm glad that you were able to join me and talk about these things and that I have a fellow mundaner uh, in interest <laughs> yeah. in astrology because not everyone is interested in these types of things. Mundaner. You know, <laughs> I'm a terrible. fellow mundaner. Um, but I love, you know, I just think it's fascinating to stand back. And that's another Aquarius principle too. Stand back. 
see the see the bigger of what all this means so um all right well uh way do you have where can people find you is there anything that you wanted to yeah. share that you had going on or can yeah so um you can find me at uh, wadecaves.com but i also teach for the sta so the website for that is sta.co and that stands for school of traditional astrology so sta.co and we teach horary classes um, but we also have something really exciting we are launching um an astronomy for astrologers course. So that will be, yeah, really excited about that. So it should be, I think, a two-day course once that goes live um, and will be made available um, by the end of this year, for sure. So um, really looking forward to that. If you have more, or sorry, if you would like to get um, on the waiting list for that, um, and it's already, um, we've got um, quite a good number of people on the waiting list, but if you'd like to get on that, um, sta.co, and you should be able to find that in the navigation on the left. Um, Yeah. Well, I think that's a fabulous course because, you know, we just, it's not all theory, you know, look up at the night sky. There's so much, I mean, that's what the ancients did to begin with, to get the much of what we're, you know, talking about today. (laughs) And so, uh, there is a link, there is a link. Tell those astronomers, they, I know, (laughs) um, but there is. So now of course I will share, uh, Wade's information on my own website in case you want a quick go there. Uh, you can find me at energeticprinciples.com. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at Energetic Principles. Wade, what's your um, what's your Twitter? Uh, just my first and last name, Wade Caves. You just Wade, Google Wade Caves. You're going to get all the Wade Caves you, your heart desires there. <laughs> um, and what else did I want to say? Oh, when this comes out, I will. Uh, I'm doing a lecture for SDAS, San Diego Astrological Society. It's going to be an Yay. online webinar on uh, Friday, June 12th. And I think this is going to come out on June 11th. So if you listen to this the day of, you can sign up and hear me talking about uh, rulerships and dignities, um, which I know... Wade is passionate about too. So if you want to find out more about that, you can go to San Diego astrology.com and sign up. Um, yeah. So now of course we're talking, we talked about all types of things. And if you want a nice history lesson and learning more about Saturn and Aquarius and the potentialities there, you know, share this with a friend, spread the good word, maybe leave a nice review wherever you listen to this. It helps, you know, broadcast and spread things wider. Um, and yeah, get the word out there. That's also very Aquarius. Um, so, all right, Wade. Thank you for joining me. I hope you will join me again in a later Oh, of course. Thank you so much, Melissa. I appreciate the time. And thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, may the stars be with you. Mm